right, hello everybody. This is uh, Mark Dustin, and uh, our podcast help is on the way with Kevin Ballman. And today we've got two stories, uh, as usual. Two stories about uh, featuring, you know, centering around women. Yeah, I've got a story about a uh, climbing expedition in Russia on Lenin Peak. Led uh, in particular, this uh, story is focused on a um, crew of eight women who are going to uh, try to climb this peak uh, without the men. Well, excellent. And uh, that's really interesting. And, 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 and I have another story about a, a woman um, who was a, involved in a hot, well, she was actually the victim of, in, in, of a hijacking. She was a flight attendant in uh, 1985, and she, um, uh, she helped save some lives. Very interesting story about her experience and what happened there. Well, let's get started. All right. Um, how about me? I'll go first with this one. This is um, this is a it's a really interesting. I came across this story a couple of weeks ago and just found it really fascinating because do you remember in the eighties, maybe probably in the late seventies and the eighties, there were a lot, there was sort of seemed like for people who are, grew up, you know, were younger then, you might remember that there sort of seemed to be a lot of hijackings, the Middle East and areas like that. A lot of yeah, there. I I feel like you know uh, there's been a lot of fear and focus on terrorism uh in the united states you know since uh september 11th but for the rest of the world it feels like terrorism uh was already a you know an issue that people had to deal with um since i was a kid at least yeah and and yeah i mean from northern ireland on to you know the middle east and other areas like that and we we definitely in the united states have have sort of been able to avoid a lot of that for a long time, and, and certainly until um, 9-11, Timothy McVeigh as well, some things like that. But in this case, um, we're talking about, and, and also one interesting thing about all of that, the earlier um, hijackings and things like this, is that they the, the groups were it's, it tended to be a little more nationalist. They weren't they weren't more they weren't so much you know sort of religious ideolo- ideologists. So there there seemed to be less in the way of suicide attacks. Um, which of course we saw with 9-11 and we've seen many more around the world since, but it was more based on ideology, which uh, in the end, what I'm trying to say is that it seemed like a lot of these folks were trying to get out of this. They were going to, maybe they'd go to jail. They may even get hanged or something. But, but they didn't want to die. But they weren't going to die in the act. Right. And this story sort of comes up and it reminded me of all of that and that, our, you know, that sort of time in history. And it was a really interesting story about um, this woman so this woman named uh, Nirja Benot, she was the head purser, which is like the chief flight attendant. Oh, okay. Um, of, uh, of this Pan Am flight. And the, and the flight was flying from, the flight at the time, I don't remember Pan Am that well. I mean, I remember Pan Am, but but it, it was kind of funny because the flight was named the Empress of Sea, of, of the Sea, which hmm. I didn't know they named flights right. like they do trains and... Yeah. Empress so, of the Sea. But it's in the air. It's in the air. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a little conflict of interest. Right. And it's sort of not on, on point, exactly. Right. But it did, it was a kind of a long, it was a quite a long haul flight. It was a 747. And it would run this route between um, Bombay, which is now Mumbai, India, and to, to Karachi in Pakistan. It would land, it would refuel, it would take off, go to Frankfurt, Germany, and then it would go on to New York City. So, I mean, it's, it's a oh, serious yeah. haul. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's September fifth, uh, nineteen eighty five, and Banat, which is uh, which is how 
which you know, it's, I think in I think in Indian names, it's it's sort of like Korean names. I think his first name is the second. I could be wrong, so apologies if I'm getting this wrong. She had she had she had become a flight attendant a few years earlier, about a year earlier, and she had gone to school in Miami. She had been a model in India and, oh, okay. and wow. quite. Um, she did quite a lot of modeling, but you know, simple like product stuff, mm-hmm. and it's not like the kind of modeling where that's going to be your big time career. And she ended up also uh, deciding she wanted to be a flight attendant, and she quickly was you know raised to the level of the senior uh, uh, on the flight, senior flight attendant. So she's on the plane, and there are, it's a 747, and there are 380 passengers on the flight, as well as 13 crew members. And they've taken off from Bombay, and they've landed in Karachi. And they're, they're refueling and doing the usual stuff. I, I assume they either emptied the plane and then reboarded it, or they left the folks on and let, jumped off whoever was getting off, and then, and then were starting to put the people on the plane that were, that were coming on. And, and um and and the plane's pretty much full at this point, and the they're about to close the doors and take off, I guess. And um, four men posing as security guards board the plane. Now it wasn't easy at this. They already there had been hijackings and hijacking attempts uh, for years now. Sure. So the it wasn't easy to get through, but they were able to sort of do the whole wear the security, you know, go through the security checkpoints, wearing security uniforms and all this other stuff, and they get on the plane. And um, she is apparently right there, as you, as anyone who's gotten on an airplane before sees the flight attendants right there greeting everybody. And she's right there. And they immediately grab her and say, you need to announce to the passengers, we're taking over this plane. Wow, they didn't waste any time. It was just right on and instantly. Yeah. Like, like yeah, they didn't they let just, the plane get off the ground or anything. Like no, that. the plane's still, I mean, I, I imagine it wasn't sort of like the, it must have, it, I'm imagining it was like a, like a ramp, you know, yeah, like the right staircase? from the right from the tarmac or something. Yeah, because you know, I don't recall. I think back then, maybe it was maybe because now they have the long, right, the long walkway, the walkways. Though it is a seven forty seven is a jumbo jet, right? So that's a pretty plane. tall plane. It's a really tall plane. Yeah, it's a quite a hike up to yeah. the top. But 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 I, that's Air Force One is yeah seven forty seven right, and they walk right up. From they the walk tarmac. up it. Yeah. So I guess I'm imagining that's probably what it was. I can't say for sure. Um, so these 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 four guys uh, storm the plane. I'm sure it's a bit of chaos right away. They, by the way, they're from um, they they were members of a Palestinian nationalist militant group um, that had already been designated and well known as a terrorist group, and it was named after its founder, which was called the um, Abu Nadal Organization. And throughout the uh, from the seventies, like like early seventies to, to early nineties, they actually carried out around ninety acts of terrorism in, in around twenty countries. I mean, this this group was. It's interesting. I don't, I you know I, I remember hearing about Palestinian, uh, you know, terrorist organizations. I do not recall the name of this one. Yeah, I guess the guy's Abu Nadal Nadal, and he, he was a pretty pretty bad dude. So, um, so they quickly grab her. And at the door, and they um, and they direct her to make this announcement to the passengers over the intercom. Um, before we go any further, I want to point out something. This sh- sh- um, Benant is two days before her twenty third birthday. She's twenty two years old. So not only is she clearly a, a woman, a capable woman. She's she's already elevated to the status of the chief of this flight. The hot, the, the like the, 
the the highest ranking member of the of the um of the cabin crew. She's also twenty two. Very young. Very young. Yeah. So she is directed to make this announcement of the intercom, and she does this to let the uh, the the um, the passengers of the plane know that they're being hijacked. But within this, apparently Pan Am, and I'm assuming it was typical back then and probably today, um, has a hijacking code. Oh, okay. And whatever that code is, she says it over the intercom while she's telling the passengers something. I don't know what she's telling them. I don't know what the hijackers wanted her to tell, to say, but they, whatever it was, it might have been just, hey, everybody, you need to sit down it's immediately in your seats. She wasn't announcing the hijacking because whatever her code was, was what, was what let the pilots know who were already in the, you know, in, in the cockpit. They heard this because they hear the internet announcements. Right. And they know this is happening. Yeah. So they have a hatch in the roof and they scramble out. So her forethought, obviously, she, she, you know, she hadn't really, she'd only been flying for a year or so, but she was obviously, you know, and, and who, who expects this? You know? Right. But she's obviously had the forethought to think, like, I have to run this code. She, the, the, the pilots uh, jump out of the plane. No longer can the plane fly uh, as is. It, it's grounded, which immediately saved lives because there's some, if you look at different, you read different stories, some of them say the guys wanted to fly to Cyprus and then, you know, to try to get some Palestinian militants out of prison and to use this, these, these, these passengers as, um, as leverage or, or, and others say they, they did that, but they also intended to like fly it into a building in Israel. I don't know whether the, the Cyprus one is definitely, seems definitely true. I'm not sure about the flying it into a building thing. Um, wasn't really a thing back then yet, but at the same time, you, you don't know. But either way, she's immediately thrown a wrench in the works for these guys. Right. It's, you know, um, obviously this was not an easy thing to do as a terrorist, but that what my immediate thought was when you said that they came up and instantly told her, it seems like they should have let the plane get off the ground, but I perhaps as security people, they weren't supposed to be on the flight that would have been very suspicious right so that's a really good point i didn't even think about that you're right if they had been passengers and bought tickets then this could have turned out even worse right Right. yeah and, and, and presumably because of security even right. if the, even then they wouldn't be able to get the weapons on the plane blah 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 right. but you know that but that's a really good point because they could have taken off if they had 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 even had found a way to conceal themselves or anything right and wait till they got off the ground that would have changed the dynamic of this, right? And 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 one of the one of the one of the fabulous things about this story, just sort of kind of looking at it from an overview perspective as we continue on, is that, like, you know, what a she like she's immediately messed all this up for these, right. these lunatics, which is fabulous. She's already screwed up your plan, and these aren't people who like have much of a plan, right? Right. I mean, let's assume these guys went okay. Here's our they got there. And then we're just going to do this and it's going to be awful and we're going to do some awfulness. But I doubt they really had a t- like what's going to happen if like a fourth, a, 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 an intelligent, quick thinking flight attendant gets the gets the pilots on the plane. Right. Did, did they know that these airlines had these kinds of, you know, plans and codes in place? And maybe they just hoped that she wouldn't be smart enough to do it. Or maybe they didn't even know that airlines were as prepared as they were. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe. 
Yeah, because they let her talk on the intercom. Yeah. They clearly, they must not have had any clue that this was, this woman's going to be able to cue the pilots. Right. It's interesting. It's interesting for sure. Um, so they, they, right away, they realize they've, they're kind of screwed all quickly. This is already turning on its head. Um, and so they go and they find, they, ide- they identify an Indian American pastor who's on the plane and they drag him to the exit door and they shoot him. Oh, geez. Now, keep in mind, at this point, I'm visualizing it like this because, you know, there's only so much information about what happened here, but I'm visualizing it like this. The staircase was there. It's probably been removed at this point, but the door is still open. Right. You know? and so they, they shoot him and they, and they throw him out of the plane. That's a pretty high drop, 30-foot yeah. drop or something. Off yeah, it's, a, it's, it's from the pictures I've seen, it's, a, it's quite a ways down. They're big planes. Yeah. Tall planes. So they kill this guy, and that's a warning. A, they're announcing that they're on this plane, I guess. And B, um, they're insisting that a new flight crew be sent out to fly this plane and, and so they can have their demands met. Um, as you'd expect, of course, the authorities show up and everybody starts to, to stall and try to negotiate and all whatever's going on with all that stuff. There's not a lot of information as to how all that played out. But on the plane... Um, Benot, um, she continues to be quick thinking and heroic. Um, one of the things she does uh, is she goes to the flight manual that the, that the flight attendants have. She secretly tears out the page that explains how to open an exit door and how to inflate the slide. And she goes to apparently a passenger or a couple of passengers and she lets them know, shows them that she's got what it is, puts it in one of their magazines, hides it in one of their magazines, basically saying, if something, if you have to read this, this will be how you get out of the, open up the door and get out of the plane. You guys do it if I can't. Man, that is, that's yeah. amazing, right? That's amazing. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, the forethought of that. Um, and, and, and especially considering that she's, I mean, she's, she's obviously having to think, what if I'm just not there? Or what if I'm just not right. alive? Yeah. I mean, and, and she's tons of pressure. Massive pressure. Young. Yeah. 22 year old under a, an immense amount of pressure. Absolutely. And, and fear. And the fear and the chaos. Yeah. Because this kind of thing, there's no, it doesn't look even a little bit like what it looks like in a Hollywood movie. It's just chaos. So at this point, the, Terrorists realize, as was always the case in these in these instances, and I assume today still is, is that the most valuable negotiating tools on the plane are the Americans. Mm. They've got a U.S. government that will is very powerful. They'll come in and want the local government to do anything they can, and they'll put pressure on them. So they direct Benot and the uh, and the other flight attendants to go and collect. Everyone on the plane's passports, 380 passports. And to bring them back to them and their idea is we're going to sort through these. We're going to ID whoever's an American. We're going to pull them out. And we're just probably going to, you know, I mean, we can imagine what horrors they're going to start. They're going to be using them as leverage and showing how. Yeah, shooting one at a time until they get what they want. That kind of thing, right? So she goes, she does this. The other flight attendants as well who aren't named in this, but clearly are, are heroic as well. Um, and they hide, they find 46 pass American passports 
and they hide them. Damn, jeez. <laughs> they they peel each one out away from the ball the bunch, and they stuff a bunch of them under a seat, and they throw the rest down a, a garbage chute in the plane. I mean, just unbelievable life saving yeah. stuff right away. So um, now these hijackers have no way to easily identify Americans and single them out. So the, the, the standoff lasts for about 17 hours. At this point, it's dark out and the hijacker is dark outside. It's around nine o'clock at night and the hijackers are starting to get nervous. They, it's just, it's one of those situations. Who wants to be on a plane on a tarmac in Karachi? I mean, you can imagine. It's 17 hours, hungry, thirsty, right. the bath, you know, every, people on this plane. Yeah. Everything's going, everything's going to heck at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And they're now starting to become babysitters for yeah. these people, caretakers. And it's, it's not pleasant, I'm sure. And, um, they, but at that point, the plane, which had been, I think it had been shut down because I, mean, I don't know if they had the engine had it on or whatever, but it, you know, it, the auxiliary power, which had been powering the lights and everything, it, it runs out. It, it, the lights go out. They did the batteries die and the lights of the plane go out. Now think about this: you're in a fuselage, interior fuselage of a plane with all these people, and it's nine o'clock at night, so it's dark, and now it's dark. Now right. the lights just went out. So these these guys start thinking: okay, this is. A signal they don't realize what that it's just the batteries dying. Oh, they think that that this was done to them. They think exactly. They think this is this is a signal that the, that military commandos are about to storm the oh, plane. Oh, jeez. So they just randomly start shooting inside the plane and lighting off explosives, which just can you imagine? No, that that's insane. I mean, it, it's one of those things. So you know, again. This is just misfortune. I mean, they didn't have the wherewithal to know that they were only going to have so much power Absolutely. before, you know, the batteries would die and the lights would go out. And so they are making this false assumption that they're about to be stormed. Yeah, and it also sort of speaks to the... You can imagine that although, yes, there have been terrorist attacks and yes, there have been things like this that happened. Now there are response teams who have, you know, books of what, you know, checkbook lists of what to do. So you can imagine that now, even a few years later, they probably would have learned from something like this and said, no, we have to plug the plane in. We have to run a line to the plane. So, and we have to tell them what's going to happen. Right. You are almost out of power. Because otherwise we're at risk of this sort of thing happening. And I imagine this is probably in... This kind of thing is probably in the, the the training books for the people who run these things today. Yeah, to make sure that they. I would imagine that the the trainings the you know today have have the experience of all those previous you know incidents, and you have to incorporate that into it. But back then, they must not have encountered this situation where they were on a standoff for seventeen hours and the power went out. Yeah, yeah, just you know something they didn't anticipate, and now all of a sudden. Nobody on, on, on either side of, of the wall here has anticipated this, and now all of a sudden chaos ensues. So, um, again, um, Benot, she, presence of mind, I mean, imagine, complete darkness, plain fuselage, people shooting off automatic weapons and, and explosives. explosives, explosives, and like 400 people freaking out. She 
opens the exit door. She sees an opportunity because she's not near one of them, I guess, or one of the one of the. Um, and I'm not sure which door she opened. I think it was the front one, the the, the one in the front, uh, the one you come in the front um, left of the plane. But I'm not sure of that. Um, and she begins, and she she activates the slide, and she immediately, rather than she's number one, she's standing right there. So she could just bail right yeah. then, just jump out and save herself. She could do that in a second, and 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 not to say, okay, you probably you probably falter for it to some degree, but within that, with that amount of chaos, you may not. Right. You know? I mean, she have to live with it, but if she was comfortable, but she didn't, she, she stayed and she immediately started helping passengers get out of the plane, helping them get out of this plane as quickly as possible. And she did, she did, she, she was able to do it. She, she helped get a ton of passengers. And, and, and by, again, there are other people who were instrumental in helping this too. The other, the other flight attendants were there and, um, but she was the one who sort of was the leader in the presence of mind to do all this. And, and she, so as the story goes, she, at some point, I don't know how many people were off, the terrorists kind of finally figured out what was going on. And they saw her doing this and they, and they went up to her and they shot her. They killed her right away. They grabbed her by the ponytail and they shot her. Ugh, which, awful. I mean, obviously the horrors of that yeah. are unspeakable. Um, at the time, it's well documented that apparently at the time she was there. Were, she was getting three unaccompanied children out. I don't know why this has been mentioned several times. It's a very heroic thing, but she was. Some say she was shielding them. I could see it because the gun, bullets are going, being shot off, um, and she's getting them out, and she's shot and killed immediately, um, and she dies. So the next thing that happens is. The hijackers run out of ammunition. They've, they've just been shooting wildly, and you can imagine. So they run out of ammunition, and the Pakistan Pakistani military storms the plane, and they capture the hijackers who were. These guys are eventually sent to death, uh, sentenced to death, and that uh, eventually, that, and later, that was commuted to life in prison. And then for the the, the hijackers, sort of quote unquote, escaped. Um, one was later known to have killed by a drone strikes. Much later. And another was captured and turned over to the U.S. and and, and I don't know if he's still alive, but was sent was sent to a federal U.S. federal prison. But um, in regard to uh, Najira Benot, she uh, you know in her in her heroism, approximately three hundred passengers on of, of three eighty. So clearly there was a lot of people did die, but um, of about three hundred passengers did survive, and. Um, and of the 46 American passports that they collected, only two Americans died. Um, and, and, and obviously, the nationality of who lived and who died is not what's important. It's not important that Amer- I mean, not in the sense that it's just sad that anyone died. But, but the very fact that she was so deliberate in trying to protect the targets, those particular targets, it's, 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 it's sort of additional, an additional amount of like, you know, heroism to have saved so many. Very selfless because you would, you know, thinking about it, it seems that she could possibly have saved others by giving up the ones they wanted. You know, I mean, it's, it's who knows what would happen, but when somebody has guns and explosives and tells you to do something, most people do it. Right. You know, and she, she didn't, she, she, uh, acted extremely selflessly. I think that's a really good point because if she had said, if she had been the type of person, and I'm not, you know, who who calculate, made the mental calculation to say, 
um, if I give up these Americans, maybe I'll save everybody else. Right. Because she could have thought that way. You know, sure. They'll start shooting the Americans, and that's going to be tragic and terrible. But hey, at least. Yeah, the, the the American government will say, okay, right. let's give these guys something. Maybe, yeah, right. yeah, and so, but you, but but of course, that also could turn the other way around. Yeah, because what, what what she realized, what she knew, was that the leverage for the Americans was to get pilots. If you get pilots, everybody's at there's no, you know you're in the air. Yeah, they're probably going to kill every. I mean, what what is the point of having three hundred something passengers on the plane with you? You know that could potentially derail this thing at some point. Right. Absolutely. And so um so her forethought obviously saved an incredible amount of people's lives. So many people are indebted to her and um and 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 it's very nice to to know that she was after her death she was awarded um an Indian award the the Ashok uh the Ashok Chakra award for bravery. And it's the highest award a person can receive. She is the first, I believe, the first woman to have ever received wow. it, and and the youngest person to have ever received it. And she was also granted honors in the U.S. and in Pakistan uh, for her courage in alerting the pilots so they could escape. Um, and uh, and in 2004, um, she was uh, the the Indian the India Post Office issued a stamp to commemorate her. I think there's a square named after her, maybe in Mumbai. Um, and sort of speaking to where this comes from, who she is, because she isn't an anomaly. Um, her family, because um, you know she is, she's a product of of something. Her family used the insurance money they received after her death to start a trust in her honor, which presents two awards each year, and one of which uh, is to a flight attendant worldwide who acts beyond the call of duty, and the other is to an Indian woman. Who faced, uh, who was faced with her own hardship, but at the same time, selflessly gives to other women that are in similar a similar distressful situation. Sounds like an amazing family, you know. That's um, what a way to to take the memory of of somebody that you love and turn it into something, you know, uh, so great. Yeah, and 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 I think you're right, and also the fact that she, you know, she is her legacy is 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 able it's reviving her legacy her legacy is not going to be for easily forgotten because of this i mean yes there's a square and that's all great stuff but i mean we're talking 1985 here now yeah the, you know we're it's it's a huge amount of time away from today easy to forget anything that happened in 1985 um that far off something that was across the world or whatever and so many things as we've found in our stories past have happened that are commemorated that are Ridiculous, you know, that we yes, get commemorations yes. of people who failed. failed miserably. And this woman was heroic and and wonderful and and an important person that certainly deserves our our, uh, our remembrance. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, uh, with this um, trust that that people will remember her and and, the, and it'll it'll be brought up each time they award somebody, you know, these these things. They'll, they'll learn about who this person was. Absolutely. So it keep, keeps it alive. I did see when you sent, you you know, you told me about this. I looked up and I see that there was also a film. There was a film. Yeah. It was 2000, I can't remember, 2005. I mean, is it a like a fictionalization of it? Is it? Uh, I, I, 
I didn't read much into it. I get the impression that the film is a fictionalization. Okay. I get the impression that the film is, I mean, the, 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 um, the front cover of the film, the artwork, it looks like a Liam Neeson movie. Oh, right. You know? It looks a little bit like a little, obviously it's great that she's being honored in this way, but the one, you know, you know how these things go. The yes. story has to be changed to fit, you know, three act structure and right. You know, so I, I imagine I don't I don't I can't sign off on this, but I don't think the family was like great film guys. Yeah. Thanks for painting my daughter as exactly who she was. Yeah. You know, she was a super spy in the movie, and in reality, she was much more real and yeah. you know you, uh, an you, actual person. You can imagine terrified. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right because yeah. you know we've talked a lot recently um, because of recent events about sort of people people visualizing a certain heroism what heroism or what some sort of act would be like like civil war in america that would be great because i would be this would be cool it's like no this would be chaos yeah everyone would be terrified and you'll probably die yes and be forgotten yes and you'll be dying forgotten yeah. nothing here there's no glory in this no. and so i think um that that is exactly i mean i imagine i have not seen the film so i don't mean to you know, i don't mean to uh to 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 prejudice it but i can imagine for for audiences yeah yeah it's probably slicker than it was well um that is quite quite a heroic woman and it was um it's an awesome story and i've got one if if you are ready to move on that is also about some amazing women i am and i and 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 this being a in yours is yours now now correct me if i'm wrong here yours is about several women involved mm -hmm. yeah if there is one woman in particular who is kind of uh you know the the main focus of the story and her name is elvira shateyeva i'm believe that's how you would pronounce it yeah uh, yeah hmm. the the story starts uh so in Ru russian yes russian okay, yeah and the story funny. starts in uh 1974 june of 1974 in the southern part of the soviet union this is near what is now tajikistan and kyrgyzstan hmm. and this is you know during the cold war and uh Russians and Western nations don't really know each other well and mm -hmm. don't understand each other. There's a lot of competition between the nations and Russia is, you know, feeling that they need to show the world. It seems constantly at that point that they, that the Soviet way of life, the communist way of doing things is as successful as, you know, the capitalist Western nations. This is an interesting time in our history, especially, and I mean, it's very, very heightened in the Cold War, is, 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 that, is that exact thing, that sort of like, you know, we are strong and let's prove some stuff. Right. It's, it's, the, it's the Olympics. It's space the race. Space race. Uh, it's when Hitler, you know, um, uh, uh, broadcast television for the first, you know, I mean, his, right. his speech. And it's like, it's all this perception and, and propaganda buildup that yeah. is kind of fizzled today. It's probably different. It's different today. And I would imagine some, uh, you know, some of this is an outward projection. So 
you want it, you want the U.S. people in the U.S. to see and say, "Ooh, those Russians." But I would imagine a lot of it is also internal, so that Russians can feel proud of the achievements of their, you know, of their comrades. Yeah, you what we're doing works, and here's why. Yeah. And you think we are not? It's not working. But look what we just accomplished. Yeah. And oh, hey, and, and to our internal people, hey, you have something to be super proud of. Exactly. And you can wave your flag. Which... Exactly. And so they have. Uh, a large, a large group of climbers, approximately 230 climbers, has has assembled at, in the Pamirs, which is a mountain range, and uh, there's a bunch of tall mountains down there, very very tall peaks. They this, they've come to uh, tackle uh, Lenin Peak, hmm. which is uh, a 7,000 meter peak. It's 23,406 feet to be exact. It's not particularly technical. But it's still a big, tall mountain, mm-hmm. subject to you know the the same kinds of bad weather that any other tall mountain gets, and um, you know, altitude sickness and all those kinds of yeah. things always play a role. Now, there's approximately 170 climbers from Western nations, with the remainder of, of about 60 from Eastern Europe and Russia. Uh, there's 19 Americans there, and uh, you know they are um, there are other contingents. There's um, uh, Swiss, there's Japanese, um, and uh, so there's just a whole bunch of people climbing. And they know this isn't a super technical peak, but it's it's still it's still difficult. And uh, in this instance, there is a crew of eight Russian women, and they are uh, led by this Alvira Shateyeva, and she is in her mid thirties. And she has the uh, achieved master of sport, which is a certification. Basically, you're at the top of your game for whatever it is in in the Russian Federation at that time. Mm. She's described as being strong and confident and warm. Um, The the people that met her there, uh, she was inclusive and inviting. The women's team was, you know, they would uh, be doing calisthenics and singing songs together while, uh, you know, in the mornings. Um, and, uh, but they were very serious mm. and they had a lot to prove. Uh, they were going to uh, climb this, not only climb this peak, but they were going to climb the peak, traverse it, and then descend down the other side. Mm-hmm. So, and this was going to be done by themselves without the aid of the men. This is um, one of the first times, if not the first time, that the Russian women were allowed to do this. So, so the, all these these teams are all here. This is a this is this is national news. I mean, international news kind of thing. Or is this just the first time? Because we're trying this because it's specific to women and. I don't know about that aspect of it. Uh, you know whether the women climbing was a news thing or not oh, i see i did see the new york times had something from 1974 about this okay. so but that's after the fact after what has transpired has made news um this this story by the way has been largely forgotten until um in my from from my experience there was a cnn story in mm. january that was really good that i read this is how i discovered it and but prior to that, there's there's hardly anything that talks about wow. this, especially in depth. And I, it's a, I wonder if that has something to do with the Russians kind of not wanting anyone to know about it. That could be. Well, that could be wrong. right. Uh, and it, 
you know, so I mean, it's it's this is a this is a tragic story. Yeah, and I should should kind of step back and say that, and I may have trouble getting through it, oh, Mark, yeah. uh, because um, I've read this about six times, trying to make it through all the way without starting to choke up. Yeah. So I'm I'm just warning everybody now. Um, two heavy hitter uh, stories today, back to back. Yes, it's <laughs> this this is a this is a tearjerker. So. You know, the, um, there are many different contingents that are going to climb this peak. They're not all super well coordinated. When the Americans came, their radios were confiscated upon entering the country. Oh, boy. So they had to borrow radios, yeah. underpowered radios from right. other teams. Um, this leads to some miscommunication throughout, you know, throughout the story. Uh, but, um, you know... Elvira knew that the men thought that the women, that a women's team would never succeed mm-hmm. in climbing this peak by themselves. Mm-hmm. So the Russians have something to prove. And the Russian women have even more to prove. Yes. Because they want to prove both that Russians are great. And she wants to prove to both Russian and non-Russian men that women are strong. And that they can do this. Well, and doesn't it sort of say, it sort of says the same thing that with a lot of you know, women, African-Americans, African, you know, people of African descent, et cetera, you know, they, you know, they have to do that extra 20, 30% or more just to get the same amount of recognition. Yeah. You can't just be as good. Yeah. You have to be yeah. better. Yeah. And she, uh, she has already led a team of women, um, on a, um, uh, on another climb mm-hmm. and it was an all women climb. However, I believe because I believe they said this was the first time they were allowed to go without the men that even though she led a team of women on a previous climb, which was a first for Russian women, um, and it was the first uh, all women climb of this particular mountain in 1972. It was another it was the first all women's ascent of a 7000 meter peak ever. Mm. in uh, Tajikistan in 1972. So she's a she's an experienced climber she's very good and i should also go into uh kind of the difference another difference um you know here is that the americans had nylon tents with aluminum poles Mm -hmm. big thick down jackets you know uh up-to-date climbing equipment cutting edge stuff of the era yeah which still is pretty different than today but Lot better than and you... the Russians. They were using cotton tents oh with wood poles. They're the the doors or the the uh, flaps, the tent flaps, and um, you tie them together. Probably yes, they are not zippers. Oh my goodness! So they are going to climb these, you know, uh, peaks with equipment that is probably from three decades earlier. Unbelievable! Their climbing boots are. Big heavy boots with nails through the soles. Oh my goodness! And so they're not climbing with crampons. And the weight of it. All. Yes, and the weight of it all. Plus, since they are going to do a traverse, they can't leave equipment behind. Right. They've got to carry. You know, they're not just going up and then back down to the same right. camp. And this is this is a even though it's not a particularly technical climb, it is a big long climb. So it takes them days, you know, to go from. Uh, you know, base camp to camp one to camp two, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, just like any other big climb would. Now, th- they didn't know what was coming. Uh, and the whole thing starts with uh, an earthquake that sets off an avalanche. 
And that avalanche uh, buries uh, one of the Americans up to his neck. And oh my goodness! He survives. Are they, are they at base now? They've they've, they've gone they the are. Base. I believe they were between. Uh, I think it was Camp One and Camp Two. They are uh, basically shuttling uh, equipment uh-huh. between the different camps. Oh, when you're on the lower section, you have to you you kind of have to get a train going to get your to get enough food and enough equipment up to the where you're going to make your your true ascent. Exactly. So you know you shuttle uh, you you climb up to one. Plus you can't stay at altitude too long. So you have to climb up and bring gear up there mm-hmm. and then you have to retreat back down, stay for a while. Then you can climb, then you can climb back up and stay for a while. And then you, you know, so they, and, he, and as they're going they're typically you're, you're going with less and less from yeah. each camp to each camp. Um, so they survived that, um, that avalanche and maybe, maybe it's between base camp and camp one, but you know, two of them jump into a, um, a crevasse, and then uh, one of them is buried up to his neck. They dig him out. One of them is injured. Oh, when the when the but, avalanche comes, they jump into a crevasse. Yeah, to get out of the avalanche. Oh Two gosh. of them do. This is this is uh, one of the American um, contingents, and one of them's injured. And the Shetayava uh, kind of takes takes charge. You know, mm-hmm. she's this man is injured. We need to do this. And here's you know, she kind of she's kind of she's basically uh, she's a. A, it sounds like a very strong personality. So she has, you know, the men doing what she's telling them to do. She's, so, she's a natural born leader. Yeah, she's a natural born yeah. leader. Exactly. And her, her husband is also part of the expedition. Oh. And uh, his name is Vladimir Shateyev. Um, and, uh, but he is not climbing with her mm-hmm. because, you know, this is, there is going to be the women um, uh, on their own. Now, that's not the first uh, earthquake. I mean, not the last earthquake or the last avalanche wow. that they'll encounter on this on this climb. Uh, nor is it, you know, the the worst part of the whole thing. Oh. So uh, just after a, uh, just a day after the first avalanche, a second avalanche hits an American party of four while they slept uh, on their oh. climb. Uh, two are buried. Uh, John Gary Ulin is killed. Uh, while the other two in that party are trying to dig the two out that were buried and then resuscitate the one, another avalanche hits, sweeping away their tent and burying one of them again. Oh my God. They end up having to spend uh, two nights in a snow cave while the, a Russian helicopter does you know, supply drops to them. Uh, they eventually uh, you know, get out the three, three of the four. So that's, that is, as far as I know, the first death on this on this climb in which there's going to be many. Um, it speaks a lot to, because we know that people who do this, like people who truly do this, it's, 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 it's not a choice in a way. It's sort right. of like so ingrained in who they are. And you have to expect that people, you know, are going to die. Yeah. And, and as you go through the story, I mean, when you read it on CNN, uh, there's even ones who survive this often die in other accidents yeah yeah so it's not later right uh five estonians are caught in another avalanche and three of them die so they're they're up to four dead from avalanches at this point many are changing their their climbing plans accordingly because of the weather the russian women do not they are they are uh, committed. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Russian women uh, leave base camp on July 30th. 
Um, and, and, and I'm sorry, just to let's interject here really quickly the fact that, you know, maybe they would have gone anyway no matter who they were, or maybe they're feeling that extra pressure of this is our opportunity. All all eyes, at least on the, from the men and yep. the Russian climbing, you know, community are on us. We have to prove our. We have to prove ourselves. If we walk away, there's a lot of people who are going to be going. See, they couldn't do it. Women can't do it. And I think there's also. I think that was kind of a Russian ethos, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That you, once you commit to something, you do it. You I do mean, it, this is right. like this is uh, like almost stoicism. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, it, it, that's just kind of how I've always read that. That you know, uh, behind the Iron Curtain was just. Life isn't awesome. It just is, and you do it. That's kind yeah. of how I've always pictured things. And so I think there's some of that, you know, just we are Russian. We are going to do this. Yeah. And we are women, so we're definitely going to do this to prove it, it to everybody. It reminds me of the horse in uh, in Orwell's 1984. Who says, right. Well, there's a, you know, we're having trouble. I'll work harder. Okay, horse. Well, we're ha- there's something else. Okay, well, then I'll work harder. Like that, because it's a socialist yeah. manifesto. So, so you're looking at this saying... What's the solution to this? Do more. Do Work more. Harder. Do better. There's yeah. no, you know, and that's that. That's the that's there's the mindset. Keep exactly. Moving. And so they leave base camp July thirtieth, uh, and um, they get to camp one. They leave uh, that uh, the thirty first. They leave camp one, and they climb. Uh, they start up what's called the Lipkin Rocks route, and they climbed until August third. Things are going well. Uh, where they take a rest day. Um, you know, they've got the heavy load because they got to traverse. Um, there's an American team behind them on that same day uh, who who radios and states that conditions are, are cloudy mm-hmm. and route finding is getting difficult. Okay. So things are starting, you know, to change uh, weather-wise. Uh, on the 4th, a big storm is forecast and from base camp, they radio to everybody and say, it's recommended that you come back. Mm-hmm. Don't continue. Um, but the Russian women at that point, uh, after their rest day, have continued on. And they are 400 feet, seen 400 feet below the summit by another climber who is, who is descending at that point. Oh, wow. And he says uh, to them, you know, kind of jokingly, uh, it was, I believe it was, it was an American. It was an English-speaking um, person. And he jokingly says something about it being hard to breathe up there. Yeah. You know, because they're at like 23,000 feet. <laughs> right. And uh, Elvira says, we are strong. We are women. You know, that's that's yeah. her response. She's just, they're going. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's also, it, we have to remind ourselves, because we don't experience it every day, what 400 feet is. At that altitude. At that altitude and in those conditions. 400 right. feet's not 400 feet. No, it's not four, like going down on a long driveway, you know, into your long driveway to get the mail. It sounds like, you know, when you when you hear that, that 400 feet should be, of course you're going to make it. Yeah. Why would you not make it 400 yeah, it's feet? right there. But people have turned around 100 feet from the summit of a mountain before yeah. because of weather when they say, that last 100 feet might take me two hours. And in that two hours... I could be dead. You could be dead. Yeah. So um, due to issues with the radios, however, not everybody has received 
this warning about the weather. And one of those is the American group the that is below the women. They got their radios yes, confiscated exactly. and they end up with these low power mm-hmm. ragtag radios they borrowed. That's right. And now coming from the opposite side of the summit, uh, which I think is the way the women were intending to descend, is a Japanese group. Mm-hmm. So they're part way up, the Americans are part way up, and the, and the Russian women are very close uh, to the summit. Yeah. Um, the on August fifth, so you know, no people aren't really sure what's going on. Uh, they're hoping that people are descending. Uh, on August fifth, the um, Russian uh, women's team radios from the summit, saying they're having difficulty navigating and they're going to set up camp mm-hmm. uh, on the summit. Which was this was always their intention was to bivouac on the summit. Yeah. This was part of their their um, you know. Um, plan to climb and traverse the mountain so they were going to actually they were always planning to sleep on top of this mountain yeah which seems you know kind of crazy right but because these are exposed mountains i mean entirely exposed to weather i mean oh yeah again we're we're, we're thinking about for anyone who isn't familiar with mountaineering we're thinking i think about mountains as where i go skiing or something and there's trees everywhere and you know there's there's there are places to hide you're so exposed yeah, 23,000 feet. You know, there's a lot of, potentially a lot of wind and and it's very cold at mm-hmm. night. Uh, so they are, they are um, encouraged at that point by uh, uh, the head of the, kind of the head of the Russian contingent down at base camp to just do, they need to descend. Mm-hmm. You can't stay at the summit. You need to descend. So they try to descend, but I mean, they can't see. They can't see. Right. They're having trouble. They only managed to get a few hundred feet, and the conditions get worse. They have 70 to 80 mile an hour winds, and and apparently, well, there's a few inches of snow down at base camp. It's, you know, in the measured in the feet up high. So well, and there's no reference. It's, it's, it's whiteout condition. Yep. You can't see anything, and there's no reference point. Right. Right. Because there's no trees. There's nothing. Maybe occasional rock. There's nothing. You nothing. Can't yeah. Even. You can't even tell whether you're on a path or whether you're on you're standing over a cliff. Yeah, I mean, it makes the going very slow because one wrong step, you know, you you head in the wrong direction, and and it can be hours of backtracking, or it can it can lead to your death because you can end up sliding down, you know, something where you can't get back up, or right off a cliff, or yeah. into a pile, you know, into a rock uh, pile or crevasse whatever yeah and um, even communicating with each other is almost impossible oh yeah i mean i'm sure they're just yelling in, in the wind to each other um so there uh this is still august 6 now uh, um on that same day um there was another uh contingent climbing and it included an an american um swiss i think two swiss climbers um and then uh, uh, one other climber as well. The two of the four climbers uh, get to the top or, or very, very close. Mm-hmm. I think they turn around just short of the summit and, and say, we got to go back. They had, a, they had a hard, hard you know, deadline of if we don't make it to the summit by this time, we turn around and get, get that guy right. there. So they start descending and they pass um, this Eva Eisenschmid of Switzerland. Uh, on the way down, which was part of their group on the way up, but they had left them behind it to, to try and summit quicker. 
but on the way down, they they say you gotta you've got to turn around and okay. go down. I don't think she does. She ends up dying in the storm too. Oh. And this was in spite of um, heroic efforts to save her. Mm-hmm. So she so at this point, I think we are up to um, is this um, four five five have died so far. I think yeah. Um, Shateyev Russia uh, uh, from Russia radios that run, one of the Russian women is sick. Now they're told again, you need to descend. And if you can't move the, the woman who's ill, you need to leave her behind oh, yeah. for the good of the group. Um, they, they start descending slowly, all of them. Um, however, uh, one of them, Irina Lyubmetseva, freezes to death while holding a safety rope for the others. Oh, my gosh. So their group of uh, eight you is down to seven. To yeah. She I mean, froze. It, it, it happens in, within an hour. Oh, yeah. You know, something, yes. You're already freezing. Of course, you're already cold. So right. you're already halfway there. But I'm sure she was in, in very bad shape, you know, long before this, this happened. But um, I'm sure they're all in bad shape at this point. Uh, they can't dig any snow caves because the ground is, you know, is, it's probably scoured clean. Right. Number one, there's probably not enough snow. Uh, and, and it's whatever is there is probably rock hard. Yeah. Wind, yeah. wind swept. Yeah. Wind bulletproof. So they set up their, their cotton tents, um, there they're, they're told again that they need to keep descending, but they try to, uh, a, a, a tent in that weather. And we're not talking about today's I'm imagining we're not talking about because it's a cotton tent, an older tent. It's not like one of these dome tents no. that can have, that is designed for wind to whip over it. And even those don't do well. Right. When the wick gets really yeah, this going. is a uh, from the pictures. It's a little bit more of a traditional looking tent, almost that triangular shape. Yeah, but it's slightly. It looked like they had a slight curve to the to the walls. It's practically a sail. Yeah, they they uh, end up with their um, tents being completely destroyed by the wind. Right, and between the sixth and the seventh, uh, two more Russian women die. Mm-hmm. So wow. they're down to five. And at this point, all of their tents are shredded. They're, they're, they're gone. And they have three sleeping bags between the five women. And oh they are up still at 22,000 something feet. Barely yeah, moved. Barely moved. Yeah. The winds are... And you're leaving these bodies behind. You have no choice. Right, no choice. Uh, they're they're uh, trying to, to huddle in three sleeping bags. Um, and in, in what's, what's extremely sad at this point is that the Americans below them are unaware because of the radios. Uh They're not that far. I mean, it's a long distance in this, these kinds of conditions, but perhaps they would have tried had they known, Yeah, you know, um, they swear they hear cries for help. Hmm. And, um, so they're opening their tent and looking. And there's nobody there. Right. Now, the Japanese climbers on the other side had heard communications between the Russians. Um, unfortunately, they don't understand Russian. They do infer that there is an emergency. Right, yeah. And so they try, uh, two of the four try to climb to go help. Wow. But they can't make it. It's so windy. There's so much heroism. Yes. There's so much selfless heroism because... It, I guess because, you know, we live in these fractured sort of 
countries, especially around then Cold War, post you know uh, post war. Uh, I mean, long, but still post war Japan. It's been a long time, but still, we've got the tensions of the Cold War. We've got all of this happening, and you know, you know, you you're looking at these groups of people who are committed to this sport. And the this the, you know and it, this these achievements, and and they don't even and their lives are literally on the line now, and they tr- see what they can do to help. Yeah, I mean, would you can you imagine being there, think li- listening to a radio communication that you don't even understand, right? And going and I, and being on a mountain side that you can't even see because it's a whiteout and going, so, it sounds like someone might need help. I I better go check. Yeah, it's. It's it, amazing. It is amazing. And, I, you know, this is like this is kind of timely in talking about this kind of uh, selflessness and people. It is. Because I, I feel like, you know, here in the U.S., we've been very divided and, and, and thinking of the other half of the country as enemies. Yeah. But I guarantee you put two people from each side, even even maybe the most divisive ones in situations like this and you would see some heroism unless unless, yeah unless you're talking pure sociopaths right the ones that are the most horrible human beings you're right because i mean really when it boils down to it it's that we're all in this together why does it why does it have to be so singular such a thing right like mountaineering and we're on Mm -hmm. a mountain for you know country men and women for people of the world to come together and go, you know what? Hey, I kind of, I kind of just think we're all in this together. Yeah, you know? I need to go help this person. I just, I, I, I hear someone calling for help. I think I need to turn around. It doesn't really matter. I'm not going to check their, you know, voter ID card before no. I help them. I'm not going to see whether they, you're not even going to, you're probably not even going to check their nationality or their no. religion or anything. Yeah. You're just going to help that person who needs it. Right. I don't know what language they're speaking. I don't know what color they are. I don't know whether they're male, female, what their sexual orientation is. Exactly. I this person needs help, and and it doesn't have to be hero heroism help. That we have to remember as a society, and of course now getting onto a thing I don't want to, but like to change the topic. But yeah, it doesn't always have to be that level of heroism. Can be a much more micro thing. You don't you don't have to get up at two o'clock in the morning with eighty mile an hour winds at twenty two thousand feet and put your life at risk, right? To make someone's yeah, day a little better, right? Yeah, yeah, just out of decency. And, and and I think you know in something like. Uh, a climbing expedition like this, uh, the reason there there it's heroism is because it is a, such a heightened situation. You know, it's uh, everything is is extremely focused. Um, you're in this situation at the moment where things are going really bad. Sure, and um, it's it's not uh, quite as abstract when you're in that situation. Whereas I think that's the difference in our society. It's mm-hmm. it's it's an abstract thing. You, if you're uh, conservative, you know, liberals are other people. And if you're liberal, conservatives are other sure. people. They're not, it's not necessarily your neighbor with their house on fire. Cause if your neighbor, if your house, neighbor's house is on fire, you don't, you don't care. Right. What. Well, it's a, it's a, um, it's an, it's an, it's a moment in time instead of a lifestyle, right. instead of a, a, a lifelong commitment to something. You, you know, it's that it's that reaction moment where you're going to do it now, but why don't you do it every day? Let's yeah. do this every day. And I think that this kind of story really, really, really should remind all of us of how how people who, and I mean, what are you talking about? War and people, things have gone through to make our country and our countries around the world, you know, safer and better and life better for people. Um, 
um, the very fact that we are human beings are capable of this in the extreme means we are capable of it in the in the simplest possible terms every day. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, this is this is as we mentioned, this is in the middle of the Cold War. I mean, our countries are we're kind of enemies, very you know, so, yeah. and uh, we are certainly very wary of one another. Yeah, absolutely. And we're we're afraid a nuclear war is going to break out and you know destroy all all human life. So that the uh, sadly the um, the American crew climbs up the next morning. You know, when they get up and the weather's cleared, and they come across all eight bodies. Oh my God! Um, now, so it's it's tragic <laughs> here's the part where i where i have trouble so the final few hours um mm. there are you know accounts from the radio communications so this is on starts on august 7th at about 8 a.m this is when uh the russian uh you know uh abalikov is his name uh is pressing them to uh keep descending uh, Shateyeva, uh, you know, says three more are sick. Now there are only two of us who are functioning and we are getting weaker. We can, we cannot, we would not leave our comrades after all they have done for us. So they're not going to leave them behind. They stay. They, yeah, they, and they're, they're moving, but they're moving very, very slowly right. because they're taking them with them. Because they haven't died. If they had died, you can. Then you, you can. Yeah. With, you can. You you know that even as difficult it'll be, you could look yourself in the mirror if you survive this because they died. That's and right. You left them. Exactly. But they're alive. As long as they're alive, they're not going to leave them. At 10 a.m., Shateyeva says, "It is very sad here where it was once so beautiful." Uh, at noon, one more had died, and two more are dying, and somebody radios through and says. They are all gone now. That last asked, when will we see flowers again? Two others asked about their children. Now it is no use. So you can see why I have trouble with this. Yeah. At uh, 5.30 that night, somebody radios through and says, we are sorry, we have failed you. We tried so hard. Now we are so cold. In... Uh, in despair, Malakoff promises that a rescue is underway, but um, you know they're they're it's, days away. Yeah. Uh, seven uh, or uh, this is now uh, five p.m. I'm sorry, that was three thirty p.m. Five p.m. Transmission is unclear, but another woman woman seems to have died. Three remained. Um, winds are estimated to be eighty to hundred miles per hour. Temperatures. Um, negative 30 to negative 40, 630, uh, transmission comes through that another has died. We cannot go through another night. I do not have the strength to hold down the transmitter button at 830. Um, or yeah, uh, 830. Now we are two and now we will all die. We are very sorry. We tried, but could not. Please forgive us. We love you. Goodbye. And that is the last thing they hear from them. Somebody pushes the button two more times, but no, nothing comes through. Can't speak. You nope. know. So in in the end, uh, I think it is 15 people in the region die. And 
it's it's amazing because you know we've all heard about what was that the 1990 uh is that 1996 no no it was like 1990 that the everest uh -hmm. expedition you know that uh, the when it became a um a big movie yeah that was shown in the imax cinemas and they carried the and they had to interrupt that whole making of that movie to try and go help with the rescue because something like 16 people died in that one Mm -hmm. but hardly anybody remembers this one um but you know what really struck me on this story is as these women their commitment and their dedication to uh their uh their goal and to each other it's unbelievable and um you know it's also it's super tragic there's there is one thing that they talk about it's not only the pressure that they felt um and and what they thought that they needed to do but there is also um uh potentially there was another uh issue that kind of got um got them into trouble which is that as they're climbing and they're this was at their rest day so it's i think august 3rd there is a russian men's group that is pretty close behind them Mm -hmm. seems to be kind of moving maybe a little bit slower than than normal and so the, the the possibility is that the russian women decide to take the rest day because they want the Russian men to go ahead because they don't want the help of the Russian men. And so it's possible that they are a day behind because they took a day to let the Russian men go ahead of them. And had they summited the day before, they would have been on the way down. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of speaking to the fact that they are are placed simply because of, you know, them being female, they are placed in a position where they have to again find a way to prove themselves and not leave there the the possibility that somebody in the aftermath can say, "Oh yeah, but you know, women still can't do it because right. of what happened," and, and and spin this in some way that sort of diminishes and their their. I know I'm I'm guilty of this. It, it can be with you know friends. It can be with my wife, my son, where I'll step in to help, and they didn't ask for it. Right. You know right. and. So it's possible that they could have said, you know, yeah, we might get ourselves in trouble, but we'll get ourselves out of trouble. Right. We don't need you here. We don't know for sure because, you know, none of them survive. So we can't really know for sure what their thinking was. And we don't know that. And, and we and we shouldn't indict the group of men who because who, it, they may they may have all been super supportive of the female team and and, absolutely. And and, and I think this is more about, um, that's the kind of like just the happenstance, like the, the small things that can turn something from a success to a tragedy. Yeah. You know, especially in these kinds of environments and, and it's, it's, you know, uh, going back to your story, we could find similar things, you know, about what had happened, what would have happened if, they had waited till the plane was in the air. What if they had yeah. uh, not, you know, hidden the American passports? What, right. you know, I mean, how many different things? Or, yeah, what if somebody had communicated the fact that they were going to run out of power soon? Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, it, there's always so many 
you know, when, when you are able to deconstruct any of these things, there's already, there's always so many, you know, there's so many paths that, that leave what if questions. And, 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 and it's just the nature of anything that happens in life where, you know, where circumstances did this, yeah. what if, what if, what if all those things are true, but those what ifs are for not because this is what happened. That's right. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's not necessarily, you know, the Russian men's fault. Uh, you know, they may have had the best of intentions. Maybe they had no intentions. Maybe right. they were just taking their time. Yeah. We don't really know for sure. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, um, it, it is, uh, it is what happened and it, and it's tragic. And, um, the, 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 the survivors of this, the people who, who got to meet them, uh, some of the American women, uh, one of them in particular just said, I didn't want to be as bossy as Shetayeva. But I, that was the kind of climber I wanted to be. Uh-huh. I mean, she was just this imposing, charismatic, strong, mm. you know, woman, um, and uh, also very warm and welcoming. Uh, uh, just a, a sad, tragic event, but um, you know, uh, it, it, the one of the things that sort of sticks with me is is the apology at the end for not having made it, and and I don't I don't take that as nationalism. I don't necessarily take that as sort of like for the, and, and maybe not even from a female perspective, you know, uh, to have proven themselves. It's, I see it more so as, and maybe I'm entirely wrong here, but I see it more so as an apology to the people that they don't come back to. Yeah. I, you know? yeah, I mean, two of them asked about their kids, right? Yeah. And the people who they don't come back to and the people that they know will, you know, who will be scarred by this, even if, and, and maybe even, hesitate to climb next or you know anything that, yeah that the the maybe even maybe even thinking more deeply the young women and even young men who would see this and take up climbing to yep. see it as a positive and and by. perhaps you know they know that their friends and uh, one of their husbands is going to have to climb up oh you know and find them yeah find their bodies and their yeah and their things that's true so i yeah uh, it, it is amazing i mean the, the what they said at the end was uh, really the thing that made this story for me because it's almost, I mean, the things they said are just, it's, it's almost poetic. It's, Mm. it's, they were saying beautiful things in a, in a time of tragedy where um, I, I don't know that I would be so well-spoken while I knew I was going to die, you know, freezing to death. I don't think I would have been saying things about flowers and, yeah. Apologizing. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. Yeah, you kind of, well, well, but there you go. You don't, yeah. we d- we'll you never don't know. know. Hopefully we'll never Hopefully know. Hopefully we'll never know, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like where where your character will lie at the moment, where, where your presence of mind will I be. don't think I will find myself anywhere near the top of a 23,000 foot peak. Hopefully not anytime soon. No, no. anytime soon. I, I don't have any plans. <laughs> I, it would have to be like a plane wreck to get me there. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be, which we've already fine. established. We'll be well dressed for. That's right. Yes. Yeah, we'll be wearing all the right. So we'll be fine. Cause if we'll I'm flying the- over the Pamirs, I should come with crampons. Yeah. And this episode, ice, we, we, we covered all of this. Right? Ice axe and uh, <laughs> so you're climbing good. rope. I know exactly. <laughs> I think that's probably it right there. Yes. Always be prepared. Be prepared. All right, everybody. That is uh, help is not in the way. Another episode. All right. Till next time. Till next time.